And here we go. Verse 7. Vayovay Moshe, and Moshe came, and he called the elders of the nation, Vayosem Lefnehem, as he placed before them all of these things that God had commanded him, and the whole nation responded together, Yachdov, and they said, Everything that God said, we will do. Vayoshev Moshe's Divrei Omel Hashem. And Moshe returned by Yoshev. He returned the words of, of the people to God. Rashi says, does he really need to, to return the uh, words of the people to God? Doesn't God know what the people said? So we learn Derech Eretz. Remember we talked about Derech Eretz a few nights ago. Let's see how he translates Derech Eretz. Etiquette. Proper etiquette. Derech Eretz. That's proper etiquette. That you have to, if somebody asks you a question, you respond. So God tells Moshe to ask the people, even though God knows the answer. Moshe did not say, Since God who sent me knows the answer, I don't have to answer him. No, it's proper etiquette. Even if somebody already knows the answer, go and give them the answer. Um... Rashi tells us this is on the third day. So they come to the mountain on the first day of Sivan, Rosh Chodesh Sivan, 40, uh, some 46 days, 40, 43 days after the Exodus, approximately. And it's now on the third day that he goes up and has this response, gives this response to God. God said to Moses, Behold, I will be coming to you. In the thickness of the cloud. So the nation will listen when I speak to you. And also in you they will believe forever. And Moshe relayed the words of the people to God. Says Rashi, in the thickness of the cloud... In other words, Arafel is the peak darkness. The Gambacha says Rashi, They're going to believe in you, Moshe, based on this event that they're about to see, and also going to believe in all of the prophets that will come after you. What does one thing have to do with the other? Um, basically, what's happening here is the Rambam explains at length, the Rambam says, that we believe in Moses, or the Jewish people believe in Moses, not because of all the miracles that he did in Egypt or at the sea. That had nothing to do with it. I mean, it had something to do with it. But that, based on that alone, the people would not have accepted Moshe as the man of God. Because, let's face it, there's uh, lots of magicians out there. So based on, I'm sorry. That's not, that's, not, that's not correct. Um, that's not completely correct. That's not the basis of our following the Torah. Why, says Rambam? Because then if somebody will come along and do a miracle and say that God came to me and ch- changed what, what, what Moshe had said, then we would, we would have, to, we have to listen to that person. In other words, if we're basing our belief in Moses over his miracles, 
So if somebody else comes with a miracle or in a bigger miracle, then we've got to follow that guy. That's not a very consistent policy. So Rambam says, no, it's not based on the miracles alone. It's based on the fact that this very verse, this verse, I am coming to you in the thickness of the cloud in order that the people hear when I speak to you and they will also believe in you forever. In other words, the people themselves are going to experience me talking to you. They're going to perceive that. And as we've talked in the past several times, Judaism is unique. It is the only religion ever in all of history among the thousands of religions that says that God revealed himself to the entire people. Every other religion has a story that God revealed himself to one person, two people, three people, 12 people, a special group. This is a story, the only story in the world, in all of history, that God reveals himself to the entire people. That's a basis, a foundation for belief. The entire people sees it. And based on that, if some prophet will come later, a thousand years later, or two thousand years later, and show great signs, or come with some very convincing argument and say, listen to me. Says the Rambam, we won't listen to that person unless we see God talking to him. And if he says God spoke to him, we'll say, well, you got to be as good as Moses. You can't just say God spoke to me. You got to have God speak to you in front of the entire people like Moshe. Then we'll listen to what you have to say. Until, until now, that hasn't happened. So, Rabbi, is there any significance for the for the cloud in here, or the cloud is just a description of the situation in the uh, just the, the weather at the time? I think that there's it is specific that there's a cloud. It's um, I mean I'm, I'm speculating here, but it's a it's a covering. It's a kind of a tzniut. It is a um, you know God is being revealed, but still. There's some measure of of, uh, of concealment. That's about. I thought that's what I would say off the top of my head. But certainly, there's great significance here. I have to look into that. Rabbi, yeah. For protection of the people too. Yes. Yeah. They didn't all have the special glasses that you need when you look at the eclipse. <laughs> oh, so Rabbi, um, yeah. So uh, not only. Did a whole nation uh, get the revelation uh, at Sinai? Uh, but wasn't it like a worldwide? Weren't there effects worldwide so that everyone would know? Yes. Yeah, it's a good point. Excellent. So perhaps this is what it means when it says "vigam and also in you. So the word also, we've had it already in the Parsha a few times, that vigam, when it says and also, it's including other things that aren't have not been mentioned explicitly. So Rashi tells us that this and also, vigam b'cho, in the English they're missing the word, the key word here is vigam, and also in you. We're talking about Moses. What's an also in you? Gam b'nevim aboyim acherecha. Says Rashi that it's to include the prophets that will come after you. As the Rambam explains, the reason that we believe in the prophets that come after Moses is because they, because, the, because Moshe told us to believe in them. 
No, it's not because they are doing miracles and they're prophesying the future and say, oh, wow, that's impressive. I'm going to listen to you. No. If Moses would not have told us in the Torah that if a prophet will arise and he will have certain requirements that he passes the test, then we wouldn't listen to anybody. It's only because of Moses that we believe in the prophets. And that's all based on this event that we actually see God speaking to Moses. And that's why, of course, there are also restrictions on what a prophet could tell you and not tell you. So if a prophet comes and says, God sent me and telling you to worship an idol, we know that this is a false prophet because that's not in the deal that Moses taught us. Moses taught us if the prophet will come and tell you something either that's permitted or to go to war or not to go to war, or even if he suspends a mitzvah, he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to suspend the mitzvah, suspend, but not to reject the mitzvah entirely and say, God said no more tefillin, we're done with tefillin, or we're done with Shabbat, or we're done with Pesach. Any prophet who says that, that a God told me to, to say that, you know he's a false prophet. But if he says, you know, this, this year God told me we're not supposed to keep Pesach because of XYZ, then we do listen to him. If he's a prophet that that has a bon- the bona fides of a real prophet. Okay, got a little off topic, but let's keep moving. So this is already now the fourth day, says Rashi, that on the fourth day, Moshe tells God um, what the people had said, that they had said, what did the people say? He said, Nasa. Um, I'm sorry, Rashi will tell us what he said. But Nasa, he already told him. So what did he tell him? The people told Moses that they had a response to what God had said. And they said, we want to hear directly from God. It's not the same when you hear from a shaliach. From an emissary, which would be Moses, if the Jewish people would hear from Moses, somebody who hears from the mouth of the king. We want to see our king. So God said to Moshe, go to the people. Okay. Prepare them today and tomorrow. They shall wash their garments. In other words, okay, I was right. Im Cain, if so, that they want to hear, that they want me to speak, then go and tell them they have to prepare in this particular way. They should be ready for the third day. On the third day, God is going to descend in front of all the people on Mount Sinai. They should be prepared. That means the men and women should separate from, from marital intimacy for these days. And on the third day, which is going to be the sixth of the month, that is when God is going to be revealed. The sixth of the month, which later becomes the holiday of Shavuot. And so it was the fifth day of the month that Moshe built a Mizbeach, an altar, at the bottom of the mountain, and 12 monuments. This whole story is going to be related in next week's Parsha. And as we know, there's no sequence of earlier and later 
in the Torah. So we had already a story that didn't happen yet. The story of Yisro and telling Moshe, advising Moshe what to do. That's going to happen later, after Yom Kippur. And then we have something that happens now, but it's not related until next week's Parsha, the building of the Mizbeach and the 12 monuments. That takes place the day before the giving of the Torah, the 5th of Erev Shavuos, the 5th of Sivan. So God revealed himself to the eyes. I will reveal myself, says God. In, in front of the eyes of all the people, says Rashi, that teaches us, Because it says the word, So there were no blind people. All, all of anyone who was blind was healed so that God was revealed to the eyes of all the people. Could have said, In front of the eyes of the people. Why does it say, Every single Jew was able to see, even somebody who was blind, was healed. You should make a gvul. You should make a border around around the the people. Set boundaries for the people. Be careful. Don't go up the mountain. Don't even touch the edge of it. Anybody who does so will be killed. says Rashi. This boundary actually spoke. A speaking boundary. It was activated if you got too close. And you shall warn them about it. Don't touch it. When the ram's horn sounds a long drawn out blast, then you may go up the mountain. As Rashi says, when the ram's horn sounds a long journey, when the ram's horn sounds along, this is the sign of the Shekhinah's withdrawal and the cessation of the voice of God. Siluk It's a sign that the Divine Presence is leaving the mountain, has left the building. Once God's presence has left, then you can go on the mountain. Tight security. Hayoivel, what's Yoivel? How did he translate Hayoivel? Hayoivel, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast. So Yoivel is the ram's horn. Who shofar shall ail? It is the shofar of a ram. For in Arabia they call a ram Yuvla. And this shofar was from the ram of Yitzchak, the ram that Avraham offered instead of Yitzchak after that Kedah. The binding of Isaac, that was the ram that was sounded after the giving of the Torah. Interesting. At the end of Yom Kippur, what do we do? We sound the shofar. In a similar vein, we've had the divine presence with us throughout the Yom Kippur holiday. When it's over, the ram's horn sounds a long drawn out blast. Tekiah Gedoyla. Then you can go eat. So Moshe went down from the mountain to the people. He sanctified the people and they washed their clothing. Says Rashi. From the mountain straight to the people. That teaches us that when Moshe would come back down the mountain, he didn't turn to his own needs. Straight from the mountain, straight to the people. 
he said to the people, Hey, be care, be prepared for three days. I'll take you Elisha. On the third day, when it was morning and there was Kolot are thunderclaps, Ubrakim are lightning flashes. And a very heavy mount, cloud upon the mountain. And the sound of a shofar, very powerful blast. Here he calls it a shofar. And there he calls it a yoivel. The entire nation that was in the camp shuddered. Says Rashi, in the morning, God arrived in the morning, came early. Make sure he had parking. God came first. Is not the way of human beings to do this. That the master is waiting for the student. So Moshe brings out the people towards God from the camp and they stand at the bottom of the mountain. This tells us that the Shechina, the divine presence, came out towards the people. Like a chosen who goes out to greet his bride. As it says, we're gonna, as uh, Moshe will say before his passing in the end of the Torah, God came from Sinai. It doesn't say God came to Sinai. He came from Sinai. Why? Because he came to Sinai. And then, as the people were coming, God goes from Sinai to greet the people. And some have the custom, by a chuppah, by a wedding, as the bride is coming to the chuppah, that the groom actually goes out to greet the bride. And that's based on this concept. How do you see it in the verse? I'm not sure how it how it how it implies that. And so where did they stand? So it says they stood at the bottom of the mountain, at the like you say in English, at the foot of the mountain, But literally means under. Tachasahar means under the mountain. It says Rashi. The Medrash tells us, in fact, that God picked up the mountain and uprooted from its place and turned turned it upon the people like a vat. Rashi doesn't give us the punchline, but the Medrash says, the Gemara says, that he said, either accept the Torah or else this is it. So I'll just give you a quick interpretation by the Maharal. The Maharal says, now, what does that mean? That, that God really pick up the mountain? It says the mountain represents love. Har is love. And the Jewish people were kind of forced to receive the Torah. There was so much love. There was so much revelation of God that it really didn't have a choice because it was just so obvious that they should accept the Torah. Next verse. And the mountain of Sinai was all a smoke. Why? Because God had come down upon it in a fire. And the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln. The entire mountain quaked violently. Verse 19. The sound of the shofar grew increasingly stronger. Moshe was speaking. And God would answer him with a voice. Or God was making his voice louder. Says Rashi. The sound of the shofar was something un- 
supernatural that was happening. It says that it's normal that when you try to blow a shofar, as the longer you are sounding the shofar, the quieter it gets. Here it's getting stronger and stronger. Rashi comments, why why not just start off loud? Why 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 go from quiet to loud? The answer is to let their ears hear what they were able to hear and not shock them suddenly. When Moshe would speak and was, was saying the commandments to the Jewish people, they only heard, Rashi tells us, they only heard the first two commandments from God. I am the Lord your God. Do not have any other idols, which are the foundations of all the mitzvahs. I am the Lord your God is the foundation of all the positive commandments. Do not serve idols as a foundation for all the negative commandments, all the do nots. After that, after each commandment, the people's souls departed. It happened twice. The people said, we're done. You tell us the commandments from God. So the, the last eight were told by Moses. So God acts like a megaphone for Moses so that his voice will be heard by all the people. Um, let's go a little over time here so that we can jump into the actual Ten Commandments, at least the first two commandments. What happened over here? Friday. Here it is. Okay. I am the Lord your God. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. I took you out, the God who took you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slaves. The, there's a famous question, why does God introduce himself as the one who took you out of Egypt and not I am the Lord your God? I am the Lord who created the world. It's a bit. It's a bigger feat. So that's a good question. Um, let's go a little further. Do not have the gods of others in my presence. Rashi tells us it doesn't. This includes not just. Not only you're not allowed to make an idol. But even if someone else made an idol, you shouldn't have it. You shouldn't have it. That's why the expression, lo you shall not have. So this is an interesting expression. Often translated as other gods, but we know there are no other gods. So what does Elohim mean? So they give a very nice translation here, the gods of others. Elohim shel achedim, the gods of others. But there's another interpretation um, that's Rashi's first interpretation. They're not gods, but others have turned them into gods. And right. The other interpretation is that they are strangers to those who serve them. They cry out to them and they do not respond to them. And their God it acts to them as a stranger. Alponai, says Rashi, in my presence. What does it mean in my presence? Calls man shenikayim. As long as I got him around, don't have any idols. They shouldn't say it's only in that generation. They said that God said no idols. Oh, you meant forever? Yes, Alponai. As long as I'm around, 
There should not be any idols. So, um, I will. I will pause it here, stop the share, and open it up to questions and comments. This um, business of um, God holding the mountain over the Jewish people, I've I've heard something else regarding that. That you know that's that gives a defense to the Jewish people that um, you know should uh, Hashem you know decide that uh, he doesn't like us anymore and wants to get rid of us because we're disobeying you know his commandments. Um, you know, it can be argued that you know we were forced to accept this. Uh, you know, we were forced to accept the Torah. It wasn't our choice. You know, uh, the the other alternative was being buried by a mountain. So, uh, you know, we <laughs> right. So had, had the, no the expression that the the Talmud uses, and it's in track. If you want to look up the story of the giving of the Torah in the Talmud, it's in tractate Shabbat eighty eight, approximately, mm -hmm. and. Rashi quoted a little bit from there. And uh, what it says there, Mikan Moido Raba Moda'a is a announcement. So this is like if the mafia is trying to buy something from you and you don't really want it to sell it to them, but you can't say no. I'm making you an offer you can't refuse. So you go to some witnesses and you say, I'm going to be selling my property to the mafia tomorrow, but I'm telling you, I don't really want to. That's called a moda'a. You make an announcement. That, um, you know, the Jews were, were they, re were they really, did they really accept it willingly? And what it says is that in the times of Purim, times of Haman and Esther, and Mordechai and Esther, um, the decree of Haman and the salvation that came through Esther, the Jewish people accepted the Torah again, but this time with a full heart, with in a time and with, with with a full heart and and uh, and freely. And but that fits also with the teaching of the Maral, who says that what is this idea of the mountain over the Jewish people is that a time of great love. Um, it's hard to say no, right? Um, right, kill him with kindness. And they, during the time of Purim, that wasn't the case. During the time of Purim, God was concealed, and yet they um, they accepted they accept the Torah. And that's really the kimu v'kiblu ha'yehudim, kimu v'ashikiblu kvar. Everyone accepted the Torah by you know doing immediate tshuva, right? They. Uh... Friends, I uh, just noticed a new feature here. So I'm tempted to try it out. 